grace, uh, which clothes us with power, enables us to do what is right. And it enabled Joseph to do what was right. And, um, and then the last song, He Will Hold Me Fast, again, um, it was God who was enabling, His grace enabled um, Joseph to have this unwavering faith. So uh, since I couldn't settle on a title for today's message, I decided to make it multiple choice. Um, and you can choose based on if you lean towards pop culture, uh, traditional titles, or the world of Broadway. So without much further ado, the titles for today's message are A, Don't Stop Believing, <laughs> Faith is Not a Feeling, um, B, A Grace-Enabled Faith, that's the traditional, or C, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Faith, okay, that's Broadway. By way of reminder from last week, here were some of the key points from chapter 39. Sometimes God allows difficult situations. Sometimes God allows earthly success. Sometimes God allows others to benefit from our struggle. Sometimes God allows temptation. Sometimes God allows false accusations. Sometimes God allows injustice. But does anyone remember the last point? God is always with us. And so before we move into chapter 40, even though it may be a reminder from last week, I just want us to remember that the foundation of Joseph's faith and our faith really lies in the phrase, God was with him. The life of Joseph is a story of what a grace-enabled faith life looks like. God was with him meant that God's grace was enabling and empowering his life. It was enabling Joseph to have good attitudes in the face of extremely disappointing and discouraging circumstances, it enabled him to be successful in his occupation. It enabled him to overcome persecution and temptation. And this evening we will see that it will enable him to withstand discouragement, loneliness, disappointment, and who knows what else he faced being in prison for a number of years. And even though from this evening's passage we're going to see some particulars about Joseph's God-enabled unwavering faith, the main point and the conclusion, which kind of giving you here at the beginning, is that unyielding, relentless, unwavering, unbending faith is enabled and empowered by God. Specifically, I would submit that we could attribute it to God's grace. And um, during this week, I just, I would encourage you to do this. I, I did this, um, just go to like BibleGateway.com sometime and just type in the word grace, and it'll do a word search on the word grace, and just look through all the verses where the word grace is used, and it, it's, it'll just um, overwhelm you and encourage you at the same time. But Paul summed up his life. One of those verses is, he said, I am what I am by the grace of God. And when speaking about his thorn in the flesh, where he pleaded with God to remove it, God's answer was, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. In other words, my grace is all that you need. It will provide you, Paul, the God-enabling power to get you through this, to accomplish my purposes for this. And I'll be honest with you, I think for a lot of my Christian life, I would hear messages about the life of Joseph. Um, I think the first time was when I... not. Long after I got saved, I was probably about 20, well, I think it was right after I saved, it was like 23 years old. And, uh, well, no, wait a minute. Sorry, I got saved when I was 18. So it was like maybe a couple of years after, maybe when I was 21. But um, anyway, I'd hear messages about the life of Joseph, and I remember the first time I did. And I'd sit there in the audience, and I'd think, wow, I wish I could live like that. Okay. That's my fear today, okay? Please don't sit here and think you can't live like this. You can live like this. Um, we don't need to look at his life as the exception to the rule, but as the rule. And why is that? It's because what was true in Joseph's life? God was with him, all right? So what is true of our lives? I think this verse was shared last week, actually. Matthew 28, 20. Um, 
Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So, I mean, the secret to Joseph's God-enabling faith was that God was with him. God was with him. God was with him. And Jesus said, I am with you always. Um, our lives can, can look just like Joseph's life. Um, when I was younger, I was with a group. Um, oh, actually, hold on. Um, there were some other verses I wanted to read. So hold on. Um, I'm going to read. <clears throat> and actually, I was just going to read one verse. But it's hard to read it uh, and not have it out of context. So I'm going to read actually a pretty lengthy section from Romans 8. Okay, so uh, Romans 8, 18 through 39. Because I, I want to just focus on this this um, theme of God being with us. And actually withholding this here. I need to do this because I can't see. Okay, hold on. All right, so Romans 8, 18. This is Paul talking. For I consider that the sufferings, again, this is, you know, what we're going to talk about tonight is, is living in ordinary people living in extraordinary life, okay? I was thinking about this a lot this week, you know, and um, I, that's, that's how our lives need to look, and I'll explain that in a minute, okay? That's how our, our lives need to look to the world around us. Um, and, and so that's why I wanted to read this whole passage that Paul is saying. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we hope for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who, in, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Now, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And... Um, I just had to read that whole passage because I, that's Paul talking. I'm sure that Paul, um, it, well, that reminded me of when I was younger, I was with a group that made up these little buttons, you know, buttons that have the um, needle on the back. I mean, no one wears them anymore these days, okay? <clears throat> but um, they used to have a little phrase on them, enjoy life now, ask me how. And uh, you're supposed to wear those around, hope someone would ask you the question, right? But can you imagine if we all walked around with defeated, discouraged attitudes wearing those buttons? 
Enjoy life now. Ask me how. You know, I mean, um, so then you've got Philippians 2.13. God is at work in you. In you, God. God Almighty is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Um, 2 Timothy 1.14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. And in my personal favor, 2 Corinthians 9, 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, actually I should read it in the ESV here, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And that verse is in the context of giving where Paul's asking the Corinthians to give, but clearly it applies to every good work beyond just giving money. So what do these things mean for us? It means in every disappointment, God is able to make all grace abound, that we may abound to not only get through it, but to accomplish his purposes in it. In every difficult assignment from your boss, in every illness, in every death, in every tragedy, um, in every difficult relationship situation. Um, I want to park on that one for a minute. Um, just out of my personal experience, sometimes I feel like I have more faith that God will do what appears to be more miraculous, you know, like, God, you know, maybe you could hold that building, maybe that, that, that building might be something if you'd want us to have. And right now it's like, it's just sitting there. Um, uh, but it's like I have more faith that God would do something like that then he can make all grace abound so that we will have all sufficiency to work through difficult relationship situations. Um, I think the issue isn't that God doesn't have enough grace or that Philippians 2.13 is not at work about God wanting to will and work in my relationship difficulties. I think the issue in those situations is that I'm resisting his grace. Okay? Um... Uh, I'm resisting his enabling power and resisting his desire to will and to work for his good pleasure. And uh, the one thing that we know that um, is a resistance to his grace is what? But God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So there is a point at which um, we can be the ones that are resisting the grace. Um, Okay, so, just like verse 1 of chapter 40 starts off, sometime after this, so sometime after this long sidebar introduction, we will begin in chapter 40. But I was really burdened to establish that we look at this series of messages about Joseph's story as not just another biblical hero that we put up on a pedestal, um, but that he was just an ordinary man that lived an extraordinary life because he yielded his life to God's grace and allowed God to perform his will and his way through his life. Um, And again, that doesn't mean that Joseph had it all figured out every step of the way. Um, Even in this passage, you know, he's talking to the cupbearer and he's like, hey, and um, hey, this is what happened to me. And by the way, get me out of here. Okay. Um, So God understands that uh, it wasn't like at this point, Joseph was like, yeah, hey, you know what? I need to be in here two more years for God's plan to work out. So just forget about me for a couple of years. Um, uh, but um, we won't have it all figured out either every step of the way. But what it does mean is yielding to what you know what is the right thing to do that God is wanting to do in your life today and the next day and the next day, one day at a time. And as we live like this, then I believe we will see things Clearly, later down the road, as Joseph did, when in the end, we'll find out in chapter 45, where he exclaimed to his rotten brothers, and now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. And um, one of my favorite Proverbs is Proverbs 4.18, which says, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. And I, I kind of think that is like that with each right step that we take, that God will provide more and more clarity uh, in our lives. So um, 
So here today we have another chapter about dreams. That's important. We'll talk about that. And then some key figures, the captain of the guard, even though it does not name his name, I don't see any reason why we should not assume that it is still not Potiphar, uh, the chief cupbearer, the chief baker, and Joseph. So if you're taking notes, you might want to write down Psalm 105, 19, because Psalm 105 um, speaks a little bit about Joseph's life as well, as well. And it speaks of Joseph's journey, and it says that the word of the Lord tested him. Uh, uses those words specifically. And what we're going to find out interesting here is that Joseph's faith in God is going to be tested in the very area that has kept him going and the area that got him in trouble in the first place, these dreams, these revelations from God yet to be fulfilled. And um, if you remember back from Genesis 37, verse 8, it says the brothers hated him even more for two things, for his dreams and for his words. Um, and if you remember, Joseph uh, was a 17-year-old boy, and he didn't seem to have much discernment back then. Um, you know, the person who is most jealous of you, you um, not a good idea to rub it in their faces. And um, so the good news is God had quite a training program planned to root out that naivety in Joseph. And um, Joseph's in the middle of this training program. Um, and yet Joseph didn't lose faith through the process. And we're going to see this um, in, in a little bit. Um, he did not lose faith. And this is the part that's amazing about his faith. Um, but he grew in maturity. But here's the one thing, observation. God gave Joseph this ability to interpret, to discern dreams, but the talent that God gave him um, was his greatest liability or his greatest asset, depending on what his character was like at the time. And um, <clears throat> we know that every good and perfect gift comes down from God, as it says in James, um, and God gives all of us, you know, different abilities and skills and, and spiritual gifts. Um, but they can be used, they can be your greatest asset or they can be your greatest liability. Um, there are many examples in the Bible of people who use their God-given abilities or have used their God-given abilities for evil. Um, you think of Saul. He had incredible intellect and zeal that was was God-given, I would think. Um, uh but God, at first he used it for evil, right? But then one day he got that call and no more Saul. Now he was Paul. That's for Troy, but he's not here. He's at work. <laughs> and he used those God-given abilities for Jesus Christ's glory. And um, so uh, be careful about those gifts. Think about those gifts and abilities that God has given you and consider that they should be used for God's glory and don't use them for evil. But what is awesome here in chapter 40, some number of years later from when Joseph's use of his gifts, or maybe I'd probably say more of the manner in which he used them, okay, got him into trouble. We still see him clinging to God's reliability. Um, we don't see evidence of Joseph sulking, sinking into a pit of self-pity while in this pit. Literally, Genesis 41 did refer to it as a pit. Um, I don't think they had cable TV and flushing toilets in the prisons in those days. And Psalm 105 even states that Joseph's feet were hurt with fetters and his neck was put in a collar of iron. So I kind of picture it like that he could move around, but it wasn't like he was going to break out and run away very easily. You know, I think I've seen, you know, if you've ever seen like a movie or something like say they probably have collets around their feet and something around their neck and then a chain like coming up in between to where like, they can kind of move, but um, it's not like they're going to take off running. So to bring us back uh, here, we're focusing on an unwavering God-enabled faith that we see here in the life of Joseph. And there are three evidences that we're just going to look at tonight uh, that we are going to see this kind of faith that we should desire to see evidence in our lives as well. <clears throat> and just so it's 6 o'clock, um, the first one's going to take two-thirds of the time, and number two and three are going to take one-third of the time. So just so after I say, after I get through one and I get to number two, you're not like, oh, wait a minute, that's just number two? No, number two and three go very fast. So number one is unwavering, God-enabled faith views the times, places, and people that we meet as divine appointments. 
It's so easy for us to take a very human view of where we work or live or shop, uh, places we frequent or who we meet at those places, especially when the circumstances of life even cause disruptions in our normal patterns. Um, and, and we just don't see um, the people we rub shoulders with on a regular basis, things that we're doing in our lives. Like, you know, we our neighborhood had a garage sale this weekend, and, and we were uh, part of the garage sale this week. And, um, you know, you just think like, oh, well, we're just having a garage sale. Not, you know, through the view, lens of, of this kind of unbelief, unwavering, God-enabled faith would think, we're having a garage sale. Wonder who's going to come. God might bring people in our path that, you know, have needs. And, uh, you know, that, that's, that's, that, this is the difference that I'm talking about. Um, it's so easy for us to try to work out our problems with human tools and not even be looking at them as coming from the hand of God, especially if they are difficulties, especially if they are hard things, or if they are if there are good things, as believers, we tend to praise God and rejoice and say, look at what God has done. But if they are really hard things, if they are disappointing things, if they are hurtful things, if they are unfair things, we tend to look at just the human causes. We don't tend to like see them come from as coming from the hand of God. Um, <clears throat> as a kid, I don't know, um, most kids like it the first time they see a pair of binoculars. Um, I can't remember when I did, but I, I remember they were pretty cool. And um, But, um, you know, you, you look at them, sometimes you don't know which way to look at them through. But I see this as an illustration of looking at it the way God wants us to look at things would be looking through the binoculars the right way. And and what God is doing is, well, what we tend to do is we, we magnify the good things, Right. Um, but the bad things, we turn the binoculars around and you know what happens is like everything is like really small. Okay, and that's, and that's what we do for the bad things in our lives. We don't, you know, when we have testimony time, we tend to um, praise God, which is fine for the, for the good things, but we don't, it's like we, we somehow we don't um, see the, the hurtful things, the hard things, as even coming from God as, as something that he's doing, some plan that he is is up to in our lives to, to fulfill a purpose. Um, we might get as far as blaming some of those things on demonic causes, but even then, we forget that those things are under the hand of God, like in the life of Job, because not even the devil himself can go beyond the power of God. Um, God has him on a leash as well. Um, and God will use even bad things to perform good for us. So in the text here, we've noticed that the chief cupbearer and chief baker were put in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. And of course, we know that, that that was Potiphar's house. And it's interesting, it says the house of the captain of the guard. So what I picture here is that um, uh, evidently this prison was somehow connected to or maybe Potiphar had a really big spread some kind of campus or something. Somehow this um, this place where they kept the king's prisoners, um, it was responsible for the king's prisoners. So this was probably some elite prison for um, prisoners that the king, you know, we, we have prisons like this today, right? You know, if some senator or congressman gets convicted, I, I don't think they go to the, the worst I mean, I'm not saying this prison was, was a place you wanted to go, but um, anyway, they, there's, there's, play, there's special places for them uh, versus of the other prisoners, the run-of-the-mill prisoners. Um, this would be your high-profile prisoners. It's almost as if Potiphar has so much trust in Joseph's ability as an administrator of affairs that Potiphar is working things out to where he can still look over Joseph to um, kind of like make sure Potiphar is still successful because he knows that uh, whatever Joseph is involved in is going to be successful. And Potiphar had the ultimate responsibility over these prisoners and um, you know wanted to make sure that whatever Pharaoh wanted to happen with these prisoners was not going to, you know, something bad happen to him. 
So the role of chief cupbearer and chief baker were extremely high positions at that time as well, so it makes sense why Potiphar would want someone he could trust with his life to watch after these two. And he put Joseph in charge of these two, as it, as it says here. Um, the cupbearer and baker were not just part of Pharaoh's kitchen staff. Um, <clears throat> there were high officials that, in our day, um, you know, it, it would be probably similar to someone who would need like a security clearance to be like a, a secret service agent. Um, the chief cupbearer and chief baker would have been people who uh, were trusted with the king's very life. Uh, because one of the best ways to assassinate a king would be to poison his food or his drink. Um, they probably need um, trustworthy positions like this in Russia. Uh, so, um, anyway, in the providence of God, Joseph was appointed to actually be with these prisoners on a daily basis and to attend to them. Um, he's confined there, they're confined there, and he's assigned to them. Now, why is it so important for Joseph to have this connection to the chief cupbearer and the chief baker? Well, we know the story well enough to know that the key person that Joseph needs to have access to is Pharaoh himself, eventually, for God's plan to work out. We know that the divine appointment somehow has to be made with Pharaoh. So now how is Joseph, you know, he started off in Canaan, then he ends up being a slave in Potiphar's house, then he ends up here in prison, how is Joseph going to have access to Pharaoh? Well, he's going to have access to Pharaoh through other key persons. First off, we start to see that there's a chance that he could have access to Pharaoh through Potiphar, since Potiphar is one of Pharaoh's key officials. Um, but if you were interviewing Joseph, you asked him, you know, wow, Joseph, how did you work that out? That was pretty strategic. You know, you're, you are working your way towards God's divine destiny in your life. He'd be like... I had nothing to do with it. You know, my brother sold me into slavery and I ended up here. Um, but how did Joseph come to know the chief cupbearer? Well, because Joseph is in prison. Um, he's been falsely accused. The cupbearer and the baker are in prison because they offended Pharaoh and he was angry with them. So here you have what we would see as all these bad things happening, right? Um, the but God is using all of them to make sure that Joseph is in the same exact place at the same exact time with the key person. The key person now is the cupbearer to Pharaoh. Um, and Joseph had to cross paths with his key person. <clears throat> so in light of God's purposes, in light of his fulfillment of the redemption story, right? These are two things. God was, God was fulfilling his purposes and he was fulfilling the redemption story, right? Because if... if if this would not have happened, Israelites would have starved to death. No more redemption story. Um, he was sold by his brothers into slavery. So what was the best thing that happened to Joseph in the land of Canaan? Sorry, I missed my question. <laughs> what was the best thing that could have happened to Joseph in the land of Canaan? It was that he was sold by his brothers into slavery. And what was the best thing that happened to Joseph while being employed at Potiphar's house? It was that he was accused of something he didn't do and thrown into prison. And as we're going to see by the end of chapter 40, what's the best thing that happened to Joseph after he got thrown into prison? What? He was forgotten. Yes. So in one sense, the best thing that happened to him, humanly speaking, was the worst thing that could have happened to him. But what's really happening is that God is leading Joseph step by step to his God-appointed destiny. So to make this more practical for us, when you get a demotion at work or you're fired, which even worse, um, or you, you're put in circumstances over which you have had no control and for which you would never have chosen, do you look at these kinds of changes in your life as the appointments of God? Um, that's an important question. Um, because... Having what I'm talking about, um, unwavering grace-enabled faith, um, this is how that kind of faith would look at these kinds of changes in your life. Um, uh, in a job that I ha had uh, at work, um, this is probably, uh, I don't know, eight years ago maybe, um, 
a director in the department I was in paged me. I mean, I was just like a whatever normal run-of-the-mill engineer. So I got paged by the director, and I'm like, what, what's this? I mean, why am I getting paged like three levels up? So I didn't know what to do, so I called my boss, and I said, do you know anything about this? He said, yeah, she's going to ask you to like lead this major project. And, and she was known as like an ax man. So I was just like, I don't want this. I don't want anything to do with this. I mean, it's like if, if things don't go well, then I'm probably out the door. So I went and talked to him real quick and I said, Steve, what I mean, what, I mean, do I have any, what am I supposed to do here? He said like, well, I wouldn't say no. And that was his, that was all he said. And I'm like, and I had to meet with her in like 15 minutes. I'm like, well, do, I mean, can, do you think I can sleep on her or think about her or something? And he just, so I just, anyway, I ended up doing that, and it was pretty grueling for about three years. Um, but, uh, and I feel like my faith just like failed over and over again throughout that three years. Um, uh, I, I did not, I did not like look at it really as, a kind of change in my life as an appointment from God. I really kind of like went into a kicking and screaming. And, um, but I, I did, you know, try to hang on to God and rely on God through the time. Um, and um, in hindsight, I, I, I think I did come out with a greater trust in God because of it. And um, I mean, actually, like, when I think about it today, I mean, I, I know that my faith grew because... I could handle that situation much better today. I could see it as an appointment from God. And actually, I could probably say, sure, yeah, sign me up. You know, I'll, I'll do that. I mean, it's just, I, I, it's different. I mean, I, I know that God has worked in my life. He used that to work in my life. Um, but Joseph eventually recognized, and the word of God records that it was, you know, not the brothers who sent him into Egypt. It was God. And that's what, like I said, that, that's getting us, getting to that point of recognizing these kind of things in our lives as God being behind them is important. Is, is our God so big, is your God so big that even when people do you wrong, you recognize that God is using them to do the good that he wants done in you and through you? You know, the whole Bible testifies to these realities um, an unwavering faith has to hold on to a God who is that big, who is that awesome. I mean, if our God can't handle sin, if God can't handle mistreatment, if our God can't overcome abuse, then God's not big enough to handle the problems of this world. And he really, frankly, is not big enough to save us. Because this world is, is torn by trouble and abuse and brutality and injustices. Um, in fact... I think a lot of uh, people that fall away or, or just atheists in, in general conclude that there can't be a God because of all this trouble in the world. Um, but I would contend that the problem is that their God is too small. It's not that there's no God, it's that their God is too small because our God can restore and redeem what is irreparably damaged. And I think an awesome reason for why God gave the Israelites, you think about, you just think about, you know, again, the context of, of God communicating this book to the Israelites at the time when he did through Moses. I think one reason why he gave the Israelites the book of Genesis and, and you know, of course, it's, it's for us too, but that we not only see that he is doing something in history broadly, you know, he's giving them a history lesson broadly, but he's also doing things in history individually. You know, he, he, he's showing them what he did broadly, but then he's also giving, showing, this is what I was doing in Noah's life, Abraham's life, Isaac's life, Joseph's life. Um, that that's the kind of God he is. He saves individuals. The Holy Spirit indwells us as believers individually to ensure that we, that what he has started or begun in us, he will be faithful to complete in us. So have, have you come to see your circumstances this way? You know, if we could look at life this way, it really cut down a lot on, on the complaining in our lives um, and the bickering and the vengeance that we carry. Um, I think a lot of times we behave as if God um, is on lunch break. Um, 
and that we have to fend for ourselves. And um, just, uh, you know, this is one sidebar, but if, if any of you are familiar with that, those verses in 1 Corinthians 6, <clears throat> when Paul talks about, um, these are the quotes from the verse, to have lawsuits against one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? And I don't know why in my life, but there's been like probably two or three situations with Christian friends of mine. I seem to have been on the listening end of, of so many complaints of, of, uh, of, like I said, like two or three believer situations being wronged by another believer. And, um, and they're jumping to lawsuits against one another. And um, in these instances where I've you know, just been a friend of, of, of someone there, I've encouraged them to, why not rather suffer wrong and move on? Um, I can't think of any of those situations where they took me up on that. Um, but what I ended up seeing, uh, the outcome of their decisions was years of bitterness and strife. And honestly, um, I've never seen a repaired relationship in all of their choices to move forward among those brothers and sisters. I mean, so it's it's never worked out the way, yeah, it worked out the way God, you know, said that it would work out. Um, the truth is we ourselves don't know what's best sometimes, um, and we need to trust God's word. Um, we sometimes don't know what we need, but the word of God does. Um so what did God use to accomplish his purposes in these divine appointments? Well, in part, Joseph's case, for the most part, he used bad experiences. Um, sometimes he caused Joseph to succeed in his work. I mean, oftentimes. But God takes the worst days of our lives along with the best and turns them towards his good purposes. Um, one last quick example about the Apostle Paul. I think today, you know, if... If there was an Apostle Paul going around, you know, in the Christian uh, church today, um, and he was roaming around the world freely and writing uh, letters and coming and visiting churches, but then all of a sudden he'd get put in prison, I think everyone's response today would be, God, what are you doing? That is such a mistake. How can this brother be put in prison? Your work's going to be hindered. You've got to get him set free, and we'd just be probably having all-night prayer vigils and fasting that God would set him free. Um, well, think about it in that day. There were many believers in Philippi, Ephesus, and Colossae that needed to read Paul's letters at that very time, and there would be millions of believers that God knew would need to read Paul's letters to the Philippians, to the Ephesians, to the Colossians throughout history that we may not have today if... if um, Paul did not remain confined for, for a period of time. So sometimes, you know, we, um, God has to remind us about, how about you sit in the back seat and let me drive? Um, and I think at that, at that time in history, God was able actually to demonstrate to the other Christians, hey, you know what? My gospel is going to prevail even if I sideline put my MVP missionary on the bench. So you guys need to understand that. Okay, um, so God worked it out for good. Even suffering is a tool in the hands of the Almighty God, and so therefore unwavering faith can look on the worst days, cling to God because of his mastery in turning bad to good. So I ask us this evening, what are you suffering? <clears throat> what prison cell might you be in? may not be a literal prison, but you feel confined. You're not able to do what you want to do. Something's not working out the way you want it to work out. It might be family-related, relationship-related, job-related, ability-related. Well, if you're in that situation, what work has God given you to do while you are confined? Um, God has a purpose for you just as surely as he has a purpose for Joseph. Joseph didn't focus in self-pity in his confinement. He focused on the work that God had him to do in there. Um, what people are you meeting in these difficult times? Just like Joseph, are you seeing them as divine appointments? We need to hold fast to God's power and his loving faithfulness. Unwavering God-enabled faith looks at life in terms of divine appointments heading toward a divinely ordained destiny. Okay, number two. These will go very fast. 
Unwavering, God-enabled faith has resolute confidence in divine revelation. Um, this, this is really neat. You know, whether it was Joseph's God-given ability to interpret God-given dreams or the word of God, unwavering faith clings to revelation from God no matter what. Um, you know, it, it's like um, if I was Joseph and, and I used this ability that God gave me to, to share, uh, you know, with my brothers and, and it resulted in me ending up in prison. Um, if, again, if it was me, I'd probably be like, I'm done, God. I'm never doing that again, you know. But that was not Joseph's attitude. You know, that, 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 that's what astounds me. Um, it, it was not Joseph's attitude. Um, Joseph maintained a good attitude, and, and he maintained that God had given him this gift to use, to, to be used. He just didn't sulk and, 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 um, and, 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 and self-pity. Um, so here's Joseph in prison, and he's given this assignment to tend to these two prisoners, and um, and he actually uh, is doing a good job with it, right? You know, he's having compassion on them, um, and he notices that they're depressed. Um, he he wasn't so self focused on his own self pity. Uh, we don't even see that he that he had was in a state of self pity. Um, you know, if you really want to have an opportunity to share God's truth with someone, a great place to start is to show that you genuinely care about them the way God does, and you really can't do that if you're focused on yourself. That's kind of the point that I'm trying to make. Um, we can't be self-absorbed and look at other people as props in our story. Uh, you'll never have the impact on other people that God would want you to have. Um, and so Joseph was attentive to these guys, and um, so he was able to see that they were depressed. And, and you see here in, in verse 8, he says um, that they were troubled, had downcast spirits. And uh, he says, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. It's almost like as if Joseph is excited like, wow, I get to use my gift again. I mean, it's been a long time. And uh, here's an opportunity for me to, um, to, for God to get glory through this God-given gift. Um, instead of like, oh man, I'm not doing this again. I remember what happened last time, you know. So after being forgotten and remaining in prison for two more years, again, you know, we'll find out next week what I'll say uh, to Pharaoh. Um, Pharaoh summons him and he'll say to Pharaoh, it's not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. So Joseph is still hanging on uh, to the God who gives dreams and interprets dreams and fulfills dreams. His unwavering God-enabled faith has resolute confidence in divine revelation. Um, he's hanging on to that. And um, now how that would translate to us, uh, in my opinion, is because of what God has revealed to us in his written word, we must never ignore it or minimize it. And our unwavering faith can rely on what we know to be true about God's character and God's eternal purposes as revealed to us in his word. So we need to hold fast to what he has revealed, no matter what things look like. This is comparable to Joseph. Joseph was holding on to this ability to give divine revelation from God through the dreams. And we need to hold on to the um, revealed word of God that we have. You know, there's going to be times that we share God's word with people and it's going to backfire on us. It's going to blow up our face. Um, but just like Joseph, we don't, we don't need to have an attitude of like, oh, well, that didn't work out. I mean, I'm never doing that again. No, we need to we need to be unwavering in our faith and um, and hold fast to what God has revealed, no matter what things look like. The third and last point is that unwavering God-enabled faith holds on to God's faithfulness even during times of delay. <clears throat> so you see here the divine delays are part of God's plan, and. Um, God not only has a will for us in terms of place and in terms of position and people, 
that he brings into our lives, but he also has a will for us in terms of time. When we are in that place, when we are in that position, we are, are around those people, and our faith is tested in terms of holding on to hope uh, during those delays. Um, you'll see that the chapter at the beginning starts sometime after this, and then uh, in verse 23, the cupbearer forgot him, and then the first verse in chapter 41 says, after two whole years. So what we know is that Joseph was 17 when he went to Egypt. He was 30 when Pharaoh called him up and and, and made him his, his right-hand man there. So, um, you know, he met the cupbearer and the baker at like 28 years old. So somewhere between 17 and 28 years old, or 17 and 30, were the years that he was sitting here in this prison. And I mean, I'm thinking that he was probably in the prison longer than just two years because if he was working for Potiphar and Potiphar's wife was hitting on him, I don't think she was waiting like, you know, many years before she started doing that. So I don't know how long that was going on, but he was probably in prison for, you know, a good, a good few years maybe before the last two here that we have is what I'm thinking. But, um, but anyway, uh, let's consider what may have happened, right? Okay, as far as like thinking that this is a divine delay from God. Let's consider what may have happened if the cupbearer had remembered Joseph, right? Right here, two years before. Um, what if you told Pharaoh about Joseph, this Hebrew he had met in prison, and told him, hey, I met this guy, he was enslaved wrongly, and um, he's been falsely accused and imprisoned. Um, and then Pharaoh was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to give the orders to free that guy. Free, not, not only free him from prison, but free him from slavery. Do you really think Joseph would have stayed in Egypt? Um, like, would you have stayed in Egypt? I mean, he's free from slavery. He probably would have beelined home as fast as he could. And um, uh, so that would have, like, uh, messed up God's plan right there. Um, so God's purpose regarding Joseph uh, would not have come to pass um, if God had not um, instituted that divine delay. Um, so the delay was deliberate and necessary and good, but as we said earlier, it wasn't just good, it was, it was best. So when God delays to deliver, he has good reasons for doing so, and an unrelenting faith holds this truth tightly, and our troubles are such that we nearly always feel that they last too long, right? The, 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 probably the divine delays are probably the hardest part for us when we are in a situation that seems hard, difficult, unjust. Um, it's the delay that is the part. Like I was in that job for, for like three years and I was like, I, I didn't know how, I, was, I didn't know what was going to happen. What ended up happening was God moved that lady on to another like state, to another job. And, and man, I mean, life was like the next day was just like the sunshine, you know, it, it was really great. Um, but uh, so God, God can do that. And I was praying for things like that. Um, <laughs> so, but unwavering God enabled faith holds on to God's revealed character, God's actions in history. We can rely on God's promises for the future and expectantly waits for God's perfect timing, even when what we most desire is delayed. So, in summary, come to see your life as one made up of divine appointments. Cling tightly to what God has revealed and never let go in his written word, and recognize that the delays are in his perfect timing to bring about his perfect purpose in your life. And um, I'm going to close in prayer and ask the um, deacons to come forward while I'm praying. Father, <clears throat> let's pray that you'd speak to our hearts and how <clears throat> we should respond to your word um, this evening. Uh, God, we, I just feel like you... I mean, I'm convinced that, that you, we can live um, a life with an unwavering, uh, well, we can, but it needs to be God-enabled by your grace, Lord. It's, it, it's definitely, I mean, we see all these characters in the Old Testament, right, that we've gone through, and, 
can we finally come to one Joseph that's living uh, in a sense like above it all? Okay, but it's not of his own. It's not of his own, you know, pulling himself up by his bootstraps. It's God was with him. God was with him. And you are with us. And God, I just, I pray, God, that you would um, uh, just work in our lives and help us to be humble. You know, opposed to the proud, but give grace to the humble. Help us to be humble. And uh, um, God, I say, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. We don't want to fall short of your grace, God. Grace can empower us and enable us to 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 have this kind of faith. Um, uh, and Lord, when I think of uh, being a light to the world around us, God, I, I feel like this kind of life is, I mean, Joseph was like a magnet, God, was like a magnet to the people around him. And I feel like our lives would be like a magnet to the people around us, um, Lord, should we, should we live uh, in, in this type of manner? Um, so God, we just, we ask you to enable our lives, Father, to, to live in this manner, um, that we could live, um, really it's, it's supernatural lives, um, God-enabled lives, um, to where we could see circumstances, um, uh, people, places, things, around us as divine appointments from you. You help us to open our eyes to see things that way. And, um, and then we would trust your word, God, um, your revelation to us, God, um, and cling to it. And then, God, that we would um, that we would be content in, in your delays, God, in, in our lives. Um, just be people that would um, be, be content. Uh, be as light to the world. I think of the verse four in, in Philippians that says, like, through all things without grumbling and complaining, that you would be lights uh, in the world. And I mean, that, that right there is like living a life above it. So God, uh, just pray that you help us in that. In Jesus' name.